Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be together again as we gather around God's Word. And so could I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 16. And we're going to be reading from verse 19 to 31 as we come to our next parable uh, in our series on the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. And we're going to be reading from verse 19. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm reading to you from the English Standard Version. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, or hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And then he said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, this is God's Word, another familiar portion of God's Word, another familiar parable, but we have already prayed that God would be pleased to to add His blessing to the reading and the preaching of His Word and to really grant us the insights of the Holy Spirit as we come to consider this parable together. So let me start by asking you this morning, how often have you been the victim of generalizations? We're all guilty, I'm sure, of using generalizations to describe others, and we may do that quite often, but we certainly don't like it when we are the ones who are lumped together in someone else's unfair, perhaps, generalizations of us. Well, you will recall that I mentioned at the beginning of the series of the parables about six weeks ago that one of the reasons why Jesus spoke in parables to his disciples and to the crowds was in order to divide, to divide all mankind into one of two groups, those who believe in Jesus and those who don't, those who are Christians and those who are not, those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. And we've seen each week so far that in each parable that we've considered, Jesus has in the end only left us with one of two possibilities. Either we believe in him, we believe his words, and we enter into the kingdom of God, or we reject him, and we reject his word, and we are cast into outer darkness. 
And we don't really like this kind of teaching, do we? It leaves no room for us to, to sit on the fence. There are no shades of gray between the two options that Jesus has left us with each time. Jesus doesn't leave us to kind of faff around in a sea of generalizations. Rather, his teaching is very pointed. It's very specific. It's applied directly to you and to me without any room to maneuver. Either we respond to God's word in a way which leads to eternal life, or we respond in a way which leads to death. Either you have been growing over the past six weeks in our study of the word of God, or you have become increasingly hardened in your thinking and in your heart towards God. But up to now, Jesus has been speaking in rather vague or general terms regarding the kingdom of heaven. He's spoken, for example, about the kingdom of heaven being, being like a sower who sows seeds on different soils. And, and in the end, we saw that it was only the one good soil that bore fruit. He's spoken about the kingdom of heaven being like a wedding banquet and only those who respond and and enter with the, the wedding garments that are provided by God are those who are allowed to enter into this wedding feast. He's spoken about the kingdom of heaven in terms of a father who calls on his two sons to obey him and to go and work in the vineyard. And in the end, only one obeys and the other rejects his father's commands. And he's spoken about the kingdom of heaven in terms of the place where we store up treasures in heaven and where we do not place our trust in the, the fading things of this earth. But now this morning, Jesus gets very specific about the details of what happens when we die. He speaks in this parable very clearly about heaven and hell, and how we get into heaven and how we avoid going to hell. Now, Many Christians get quite uncomfortable when they start to hear a sermon on hell, and maybe you are feeling a little bit like that this morning. But the reality is that Jesus preached more about the realities and the details of hell than he ever did about heaven. So if Jesus thought that preaching regularly and speaking regularly about hell was important and necessary for the salvation of his hearers, then I think we should not be ashamed of this, nor to be too quick to try and dismiss or, or soften the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ as it pertains to hell. I think the reason that many people today think that, that they are going to heaven that's the, the general belief of most people uh, in the world out there. Most people think that they're going to heaven because in reality, they've never really heard much about hell. And this is really an indictment on the church and those who call themselves ministers of the gospel. And so we're going to see today then that Jesus does not mince his words about the reality of life after death, nor about the reality of the choices that we make in this life, which will result in the greatest of all divides for all eternity, which is whether we will spend eternity in heaven or whether we will spend eternity in hell, whether we will spend it with God or separated from God with Satan and his demons. 
Now, I need to just say one more thing by way of introduction, and, and this has to do with the whole issue of, of wealth and, and being rich. And I mean, need to mention this this morning because you may have realized that this is our fifth parable this morning, and it is the fourth time that Jesus specifically addresses the problem of wealth. In the, the parable of the sower, we saw that the riches of this world choked the seed from producing fruit. In the parable of the wedding feast, we saw that the concerns of this world, the, the individual's pursuits after their, their business affairs kept them from responding to the invitation to come to the wedding banquet. In the parable two weeks ago of the rich fool, we found that he had his identity placed and his security placed in the abundance of his possessions. And, and now this morning, we have the rich man who lived in luxury, and he ends up in hell. Now, just like preaching on hell is not popular today, neither is preaching against wealth and prosperity popular today. On the contrary, uh, most of the sermons that you would hear, broadly speaking, under the banner of, of Christianity today, would tell us that Jesus wants you to be rich. Jesus wants you to be, to be healthy and happy and, and prosperous. He wants you to have an abundance in this life uh, in proportion to your prosperity. But the Bible commentators tell us, those who study uh, the New Testament in detail, that one-third of the parables of Jesus directly address this issue of money. And as we've seen already, his attitude to money is not one of, come to me and I will give you more, but rather... Your money may very well be the, the, the thing that is keeping you out of the kingdom of heaven. And so as we come to another parable this morning, which seems to be speaking very negatively about wealth and being rich, I want to show you today that this is not the main point of this parable. And if we try to make it the main point, we really miss what Jesus is trying to teach. The main point which Jesus is making is not that rich people go to hell and, and poor people go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. The main point of this parable has to do with your attitude to the word of God. That is what will determine whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. Your attitude to the word of God determines your eternal destination. So that's the spiritual truth which Jesus wants to reveal to us today, that Jesus wants us to understand. And so, as he's done in all the others, Jesus lays a story alongside this spiritual reality. And he tells us the story of two men, two stereotypes, two generalizations, uh, two men who represent, as it were, two groups of people in this world to illustrate the main point. And we will miss the point of Jesus' teaching if we try to turn this parable into a kind of a, a social gospel message which says, if only the rich man had given all his money to the poor man, then he would have gone to heaven. Now, just think about that for a moment because as soon as the rich man gave all his money to the poor man, 
then the poor man would have been rich and he would have gone to hell and the rich man would have been poor and gone to heaven and so he would have then needed to give his money back to the rich man and, and so we see we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. So let's, let's keep that in mind as we come to this portion of Scripture and hopefully this will become more clear to us uh, as we work our way through the parable. So let's start where Jesus starts with the two men in verse 19 to 21. And Jesus starts off by telling us a story of two men, a rich man who, who does not have a name and a poor man called Lazarus. The rich man lived in, in utter luxury and opulence, and this poor man Lazarus had nothing. He lived in a state of hunger, a poverty, and an incredibly poor health. Now let's consider a few things that the parable reveals to us about these two men. Let's start with the rich man. Firstly, we see that he wore purple and fine linen. And that really speaks to this whole issue of pride and, and self-image. Jesus was being very specific here about this man's wealth because in those days, purple and fine linen was the most expensive material you could get. And so often it was limited only to those who were royalty or the, the super rich in the society. It's like saying that this man only wore Pierre Cardin or, or some other fancy brand name, whatever that may be. He only bought his clothes from the exclusive brand names or the exclusive boutiques in the Mall of Africa, where what you pay for the actual item far exceeds the value of what the item is worth, simply to be seen in that brand name. This man was very rich, and he used his money to, to clothe himself in, in only the finest. And I'm sure it was very comfortable. I'm sure that uh, he enjoyed wearing it. But he mainly did it, it seems, for the status and the image which it clearly portrayed to those around him. And we are certainly not immune to this concept today. Every area of life, we are being pressured into spending more money on clothes and phones and, and computers and sunglasses and cars and, and bikes and furniture and jewelry and perfume and the list goes on in order to be seen to be wearing the purple and the fine linen of our day. Secondly, we notice that he feasted sumptuously, really pointing here to a lifestyle of extravagance. This man was a man who really enjoyed living the lifestyle of the wealthy. That included feasting sumptuously. This speaks to us of, of throwing parties, of living a life of extravagance, inviting many friends around uh, to 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 feast together, eating only the finest food, drinking only the best and most expensive wines. Nothing was done in half measures. It was all about getting the most out of his money for his own pleasure. And then we are told, a little bit indirectly, that he lived in a mansion. And this speaks to us of comfort and security. Now, we aren't specifically told the size of his house, but we are given a clue in verse 20 which tells us that he had a gate. Now, in those days, with most houses lining the streets of the towns or the cities or the villages, it was only the wealthy who had big homes with private gardens, private estates, that typically had gates. 
and the gates to their properties were intended to keep men like Lazarus, the poor, as well as criminals, away from the entrance to their homes. And so this man, this rich man, he lived a life of comfort, a life of plenty, a life of independence from others. Now, let's move on to consider Lazarus. And as much as Jesus has been painting a a very clear picture of this rich man, he now goes on to draw a complete contrast uh, as we consider the poor man, Lazarus. We see, firstly, that he was homeless. Now, he, he may have had a home somewhere in the town, but we're not sure, for he came every day to, to lie at the gate of the rich man. He had no place to, to call his own, and he was hoping to receive something of the rich man's excess wealth by lying at his gate. Secondly, we see that he was hungry. We told that he was hungry. He did not even have the essentials of, of a staple diet provided for him. He longed to eat the scraps which fell off the table of the rich man. Now, in our home, we have a, a mobile vacuum cleaner called Molly. She's a, a Labrador. And she lies in the kitchen with her radar antennas uh, pricked. For, for any items which may fall off the kitchen table. Usually it's things like peas and the occasional baby marrow. But then she pounces on it to devour it before it even hits the floor. Well, that's the picture here. Lazarus is, is hungry. He's, he's looking through the gate, longing to eat the scraps which get thrown out of the rich man's back door. An equivalent in our day and age would be a man who rummages through our dustbins on the pavement, hoping to eat the scraps that we have thrown away. And then we see that he was humiliated. If being homeless and hungry were not enough, he was humiliated. He lived a life of public shame. And we know this because in the Jewish context, anyone who was covered with sores on their skin were declared to be ceremonially unclean. They carried with with them the, the rejection and the scorn of the people. And then we are told that the dogs, and this is not the, the fluffy kind of pet version of dogs that, that's a very modern invention. No, the, the scavenging street dogs of the city of the rubbish heaps, they came and they licked his sores. He was a man who was totally humiliated. Now, Clearly, Jesus is, is using uh, hyperbole here, grand generalizations, but very effectively trying to bring to our minds the, the picture of absolute contrast between these two men. Someone who, from this world's perspective, is at the pinnacle of human society and achievement versus, on the other hand, someone who would be considered the lowest in all of society. A rich, successful business tycoon versus a poor, diseased street vagrant. So there we have the the two men uh, that Jesus describes to us in this parable. But the second thing that Jesus goes on to point out is that both of these men, as, as contrasting as their lives and their lifestyles may be, both of these men face the exactly the same fate. And so in the second place, we see one fate, verse 22. One fate which 
befalls all human beings, from the richest to the poorest, from the, the strongest to the weakest, from the healthiest to that those who are, are most sick, is this universal reality that we all die. Death is no respecter of persons because all men are sinners and the wages of sin is death. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 5 that no person has the power to retain his spirit or the power over the day of his death. And haven't we been reminded of that so, so much in, in the, the past couple months? As initially we were told that COVID only affects the, the aged and those with comorbidities. And, and to our shock in, in recent months, we've seen that those who are dying of COVID are, are young and, and fit and healthy. Well, this reality of, of death coming to all people could not be clearer than the way Jesus states this reality almost in passing in verse 22. He says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And I think that, that even as Christians, we, we have sometimes lost the plot when we consider the reality of death. We seem to think and, and speak of death as, as the kind of greatest of all evils which must be avoided at all costs. And in doing so, we, we reflect the, the thinking of this world which is unbiblical. No, death is real. Jesus shows us this. But for Jesus, death is simply the, the transition from this life to the next. And the focus in this parable is not on death itself, but on the life that we live before death and the life that we live after death and how they are related. We've been so immersed for the last year in this reality of death and the, the globally coordinated effort to, to halt death in its tracks by coming up with a vaccine for COVID-19. But do you realize that even an effective COVID-19 vaccine does not remove the reality of death? At best, it simply delays it. The emphasis today in the health and the beauty industry is that we are trying to do everything we can to avoid death or delay death or to ignore death. And, and that's simply just unbiblical because it reflects the, the heart and the thinking of a man without God. The person for whom there is no hope in death and for whom death does usher that person into the greatest of all realities of evil, which is eternity in hell without God. No wonder people do not want to think and talk about death. No wonder people try to do whatever they can to put death as far away from them as possible. But for the Christian and the non-Christian alike, death is just the end of this short life, which is but a vapor, and it is the entrance into Eternal life in heaven or eternal death in hell. Death is the doorway. Nothing more, nothing less. And it is the single common experience of every human being on this planet. One fate comes to us all, and that is death. 
And so that leads on to the third point this morning. Although death is the one fate which comes to all of us, that one fate leads to two very different eternal realities. And so in the third place, we consider these two eternities in verses 23 to 26. And it's wonderful for me here how, how Jesus, being God in the flesh, having come down from the glories of heaven, he is the one who casts Satan and his demons out of heaven and, and into hell. He is the one person who is qualified to speak about life after death. And so he speaks very simply and clearly about what happens when we die. So Lazarus died. And we are told that he was carried by the angel, angels to Abraham's side. So simple, so matter of fact. The fact is that those who love God, when they die, their souls are immediately carried to heaven. This phrase, Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, refers to this eternal banquet in heaven where the saints of God are reclining around the table at the feast in heaven. And as they used to do in those days, reclining at the table with those who you are in close fellowship with meant that you would lean against or rest against a brother's chest. It's an expression of celebration. It's an expression of, of close fellowship, of feasting together as a community in the pleasures of heaven. And so death for the believer ushers in this immediate transport from this life by the angels of God into the presence of God, into the presence of all his saints as they feast together around the throne of God. And so while, yes, the, the process of physically dying in this world is often an unknown to us, it's, um, it comes often with a time of suffering and pain perhaps leading up to death, Jesus could not be clearer and simpler to explain to us that as believers, death is simply the signal for the angels to come and to fetch us and to take us to heaven. Great encouragement for us as believers just uh, in that as an aside. But equally, Jesus could not be simpler and clearer about the eternity awaiting the unbeliever. And in this case, it's the, the rich man and all those that he represents. And we see that he too died. We aren't told why. We're just told as the, the, the poor, sick Lazarus died, so the wealthy, healthy, prosperous rich man died. And he was buried. And that reference to being buried probably signified that a big deal was made about his death and his funeral. Nevertheless, no sooner has he died and he finds himself in hell, and with that, in utter torment. The Greek word here for torment uh, or suffering uh, refers to a severe pain associated with torture and torment and severe suffering. And so the rich man finds himself in, in this condition of torment, and we see something of what is causing his torment. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, 
We know from church history particularly that one of the worst ways to die is to be burned to death, especially if that happened slowly, which is why one of the cruelest, harshest, most wicked ways in which Christian martyrs were put to death in ages past was to be burned at the stake. The only relief for someone being burned alive comes from the fact that soon this torment will end in death. You see, death in this life brings the pain and the suffering in these physical bodies to an end. But then Jesus picks up on that and explains that the rich man is in this state of eternal torment of being burned alive forever. There's no possibility of relief because there is no more death in hell to relieve you from the suffering of hell from those fires which burn eternally and which never consume. This is a a truly horrible picture. And I don't think we are meant to just skim over it or gloss over it. It's one that we would do well to think about because Jesus is not wanting you and me to to be duped, to think that, that following this life, either number one, everyone goes to heaven, or number two, those who don't go to heaven, we simply get annihilated. That would be so convenient, wouldn't it? Which is why most people today reject the Bible's teaching on hell and simply think that death in this life brings with it annihilation, the the end of our souls. How convenient. Who needs heaven? Who needs God and, and salvation if there is no hell? If there's no consequences to the choices that we make in this life, well then, yes, we can just simply eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die, the end. But the only person, the only person who has authority to speak on this matter is God himself. And so Jesus tells us the truth, the truth of life after death. And he does not hide from us the terrible reality of an eternity in hell. But there is another thing which Jesus brings out here in this dialogue between the rich man in hell and Lazarus in heaven. And I want you to see it. It's this permanent nature of our eternal condition. Once we pass from this life to the next, there is no going back. There is no option left to change our situation. Look at verse 26. Abraham says, Besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who who would want to pass from this side to that may not be able to, and none may come across from there to us. I mean, just look again at the the simplicity of the choice of Jesus' words. There is a great chasm. It's been fixed by God in order that no one may go either way. This is the nature of our eternal destination. It is fixed. It's It's separated by this great chasm. There's no option for repentance after the grave. There's no option for changing your mind. There's no possibility of getting out of jail. The reality which Jesus drives home here is that our lives on earth right now, today, determine our eternal destination. What you do in this life matters. It affects 
everything. It affects the entire outcome of the next. And that's what Abraham says in verse 25. You made your choices in this life, and now you will spend all eternity living out the consequences of what you chose and you believed in this life. And so we see that Jesus has told us about these two men whose situations could not have been more different in this life, yet who both underwent the same single fate of death, the fate of all men. And then we see that death ushered in two entirely different eternal realities. Heaven for the one man, eternal bliss, eternal comfort, eternal blessing, eternal fellowship with God and his saints. And for the other man, hell, eternal torment, eternal pain and suffering, eternal regret and eternal separation from God and all his saints forever. So the question that we need to answer this morning is this. What made the difference? What made the difference between the rich man and Lazarus? What makes the difference today which determines whether you or I will spend eternity in heaven or whether we will spend eternity in hell? And that brings us to the crux of the parable. Remember that we're still considering this, this first category of parables about how to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so that is the main point that we need to understand this morning. What determines how you will spend eternity? Is it about being rich or poor? Is Jesus saying that all rich people go to hell and, and all poor people go to heaven? Is that what he's saying? Well, clearly we know that is not the case. Because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there were many wealthy people who loved God and went to heaven, who lived their lives rich towards God, as we saw last week. And there are many in Scripture who were poor people who rejected God and who went to hell. I think Proverbs 30 verse 8 and 9 is, is a helpful uh, verse to turn to. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full from my riches and do what? Deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor, hungry, and steal, and so profane the name of God. So the writer of the Proverbs is not concerned here for wealth or poverty, but rather concerned for the sinful attitudes and the sinful behavior that so often accompanies those states. With riches come huge temptations to, to pride and, and independence from God. With poverty come huge temptations to, to steal and, and blaspheme the name of God. And, and yes, with middle class comfortableness comes the huge temptation to just forget about God altogether. The point of Jesus' parable is not primarily about the state of one's bank balance, rather the state of one's heart in response to the revelation of God himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in the final place this morning, I want us to consider one way, 
one way in verses 27 to 31. Now this parable takes a very interesting turn here in verse 27 with the rich man coming to realize the the desperate lostness of his soul, the desperate lostness and desperation of his situation, and also the the eternal permanence of it, that there's going to be no relief for him, there's there's no hope of getting out. The reality that God and and heaven and hell are, are real, it came too late for him. But perhaps, just perhaps, it's not yet too late for his brothers. He's got five brothers who are still alive. And so he wants Abraham to send Lazarus back to earth to go and warn his brothers of this terrible reality of hell so that they will also not end up there with him. And Abraham's response is very simple in verse 29. Abraham says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Now, if we're not careful here, we will miss the crux of of Jesus' parable in this one verse, verse 29. Jesus says, Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the scriptures, they have the word of God, your brothers can listen to the word of God. You see, here Abraham reveals, Jesus through the story reveals that the ultimate difference between the rich man and between Lazarus had nothing to do with with riches or poverty. The ultimate difference between these two people was that the rich man did not listen to Moses and the prophets, whereas Lazarus did. The, The massively different eternities which these two men faced was not about bank balances or comforts or the pleasures of this world. It was about their response, their attitude to the word of God. One believed and the other rejected. This is made even more clear in the rich man's counter-argument with Abraham in verse 30. Abraham says, they've got Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. And he has his response, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. So do you see that the focus of the parable now has totally shifted away from being rich or poor, about being fed or or hungry? The focus now moves to the real issue. What are you doing with the word of God? What are you doing with the, the gospel of salvation which is revealed to you in the word of God? And the rich man reveals here that, that his heart has not changed towards God at all because he still treats the word of God with contempt. He still just as much does not believe the word of God as he did when he was on earth. Now we know that his contempt for God's word was not one of outward blasphemy. The rich man was a religious man. He probably went to church quite often. He may even have been part of the leadership of the church because very often the wealthy, influential people in society became the leaders in the church. 
And he had an outward respectability and he had an outward familiarity with the things of God, which we see because he addresses Abraham as Father Abraham. This man seems to be a proud Jew. And he acknowledged Abraham to be his, his father in terms of an earthly sense. He was descended from the line of Abraham and also in the religious sense of the word. He was the patriarch of the, the religious nation uh, of, or the religious uh, system of Judaism. And yet, notice that he did not listen to or believe what Moses and the prophets had to say about the way of salvation. Isn't that still the problem of so many people who call themselves Christians today? People who hang around in church circles, they call God Father, but they don't really believe God's Word. They don't love God's Word. They don't obey God's Word. Not because they outwardly reject God, but because inwardly their hearts of unbelief rule. And they see no need to take God's Word seriously. Well, this rich man lived like that, and we see that he died like that. And in hell, despite the realization that everything that he had believed on earth was wrong, was false, yet we see that his heart of unbelief still persists. Nothing has changed. Let me paraphrase his words to Abraham in verse 30. No, Abraham, you don't understand it. Moses and the prophets aren't enough. Preaching the word of God is, is not enough to save my five brothers. God's word is not going to do it for them. After all, who takes that stuff seriously anyway? No, Abraham, I'm telling you, if you just let Lazarus rise from the dead to bring them the message, oh, then I tell you, they would repent. They don't need preaching. They don't need Bible study. They don't need a book. What they need is a mighty display of the power of God. They need to see a miracle. That'll do the trick. Sounds like a reasonable argument, doesn't it? If they see a miracle, they'll believe. Sounds like a very modern argument, doesn't it? We see this all around us today under the banner of the church. The word of God is not enough. We need entertainment. We need shows. We need performances. We need drama, multimedia, flashing lights, smoke machines. We need healings. We need manifestations of the Spirit. Anything and everything these days is called upon except the power of the word of God. Look at verse 31. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Here in verse 31 is the crux, the main point of Jesus' parable. The rich man was in hell and Lazarus was in heaven, not because of their financial status on earth, not because one was happy and the other was miserable. No, the rich man and Lazarus represent every human being on earth by their ultimate response to or attitude to the word of God. It was their different responses in this life to Moses and the prophets which made all the difference in eternity. The one who thought that he was rich 
and saw no need for God, saw himself as independent from God, saw himself as the object of his own worship, and thus rejected the word of God and rejected the teaching of his need to be saved and the way of salvation, was in actual fact the one who was spiritually poor and destitute and in need of salvation from his sin and impending wrath of God. Yet on the other hand, the one who was poor in this life realized that he was rich in God. He realized that he was a child of the Most High, Creator. He had been saved by Him, adopted into His family, and it did not matter his lot in this life because he owed his very life and his salvation and his eternity to the God who saved him. One believed and the other rejected the Word of God. One obeyed it, one spurned it. One lived for God, the other lived for himself. So the issue here, you see, is not money at all. Although we know too little money and too much money bring with them very unique and different temptations. But the issue here, again, is the heart. And at the heart of that is our attitude to the Word of God. Only those who believe God, who believe His Word, who accept it, who obey it, who love it, are those who will be accepted in the presence of God for all eternity. And so knowing where and how you will spend all eternity is not hard to figure out. It's very simple. What is your attitude to Moses and the prophets? What is your attitude to the word of God? Jesus rebuked the Jews in John 5 saying, you search the scriptures, you religious people, you you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they who bear witness about me. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, Jesus met those two men and what are we told? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What is your attitude to Moses and the prophets? What is your attitude to the word of God? But more importantly, what is your attitude to Jesus Christ whom this word reveals to you? How you answer that question in your life today will determine how you will spend all of eternity. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we again just marvel at the simplicity and the clarity of your word and of its application to our own hearts this morning. Lord, Most likely 95% or more of the people listening to this message today, watching this service, would claim to be Christians. Members of the church involved in ministry, outwardly all the signs of there that that the plant is growing, the blossoms are there indicating fruit is on the way. And yet, Lord, only you know our hearts this morning. Only you know in the quietness of our own bedrooms, in the daily routines of our lives as a week by week go by, month by month goes by. Only you know and we know in our own hearts what is our true attitude to Moses and the prophets. What is our true attitude to the word of God? 
Oh Lord, it's so easy to be caught up in the, the religious things of the church, even at a time like this. In lockdown, in separation, we can make use of all these things that have been presented to us by the church, and yet our hearts can still be so far from you. And so I do pray again this morning that, that the preaching of your word would, would shake our hearts, would reveal to us the, these spiritual truths of the eternal realities of heaven and hell. And that what makes the difference for all eternity is our response today to the word of God. Our response today to the gospel of salvation which is revealed to us in your word. Ultimately our attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he our Lord and Savior? Our substitute? The one who died in our place to take our sins upon himself that we might be clothed in his righteousness for all eternity? Or do we see Jesus as a means to get what we want out of this life? Magic genie in a bottle, hoping that we can get from him without his demands having any rule or authority in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would expose our hearts today. That every one of us would examine our hearts in the light of your word and would examine our attitudes to your word on a daily basis, that we as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church would become people of the book, not in any kind of dead orthodox or academic way, but people who hunger and thirst for more and more of Jesus Christ as you reveal him to us by your Holy Spirit through the pages of Scripture. Help us, we pray to find Jesus, to find all our joy and satisfaction and purpose in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we might not just look forward to that day when we will pass from this life to the next to spend all eternity in your presence, but that we would live every single moment of every day of this life, serving you, glorifying you, worshiping you with all of our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to close our service this morning by singing that song, Ancient Words, uh, that just re-echoes uh, some of the truths of what we've looked at today. And may this really be a prayer of our hearts, an echoing of the truths of this song, as we recognize that it is these ancient words that are God's words, written with the power to change me and to change you to be the people that God has called us to be. May you know the Lord's blessing as you go into this week ahead and as you seek to live faithfully for him in this world that so desperately needs to see Jesus Christ portrayed uh, in our society. Amen.